Hello, welcome everyone to the Idea Market podcast. Um, we are joined with once again Michael Lice, CEO of Idea Market, and we're also joined by Cal Orand, who is here to talk about his new OE. It's a DAO. It's sort of a startup. It's a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on with it called Mustard Co. Um, or you're sort of calling it the Mustard Verse or something like that. Yeah, it's it's the mustard. <laughs> The mustard, the mustard. Yeah. So before, but before we begin, one thing we should say is that this is the podcast that will be going out at Christmas. So uh, from Idea Market, from all of us there, Merry Christmas to everyone. And uh, if there isn't a podcast before, Happy New Year to everyone as well. Um, so, Carl, we we do have a, a question which we we ask instead of the – I mean, we'll get, we'll get in because you have a really uh, eclectic and interesting background. But we have a question which is uh, if you were to design a boot camp – course and the purpose of this course is for everyone who finishes it to become as alike you as possible a course to develop clones of yourself what would that course look like wow um okay well i would guess look the biggest thing for me and i think i mentioned this a little bit prior when we've spoken was um i really want people to start choosing people over opportunity and, you know, I just really think that's how we get there, you know, is that so many times in my career in life, I've seen people just kind of gravitate towards what comes at them next, not always thinking about the person next to them. And I just really think the way is to always be thinking of the person next to you. And so if I was to create a boot camp, I would want to create learning skills and and examples and moments where we can educate people to want to care more about the people next to them, because I just think that kind of selfishness is rampant in the world. And the more that we can be gravitating towards helping each other, lifting each other up, and then if the person next to you is lifting you up, then, you know, that cycle can just kind of move forward in the world. And it's a really... It's a hard thing, I know. It's been um, to put into practice, you know, because people need stuff and it's tough. Um, but I just think if, if everyone was to really start leaning into that and lifting each other up, it wouldn't be as tough. And it would be easier than, I think, for everyone to see the opportunity that we can all thrive within. Awesome. I'm wondering what you see as the major barriers to that. Like, why isn't that happening? What makes that particularly difficult right now? Well, I think people, I think ultimately, I think altruistically, everyone's good, right? I do think that. I, I'm, I'm someone who believes that we're all just kids trapped in human bodies with walls put up through experience. So, I mean, that's like the core of kind of like my belief structure is we're all 11 year olds, right? So, um, you know, I just think ultimately that life is hard. You know what I mean? Like people get slighted through different things. And, you know, unless you're grounded and you have your identity rooted in things other than what the world says you need, um, then you're always going to be kind of going towards the things that will lift you up versus things that will lift everybody up. Right. I think it's just kind of society has right or wrong for however we've gotten there has kind of created this paradigm where people need to get theirs before they're willing to help others. And if we're just kind of can shift that paradigm towards always helping each other, then we'll all get there. And we don't need to necessarily worry so much about getting yours because the person next to you is going to be worrying about you as much as you're worrying about you. And I just think that's, I know it's idealistic, um, but at the same time, I, I think it's possible. 
You know what I mean? I, re I really do think it's possible. And I think there are entities in the world that, that are trying and striving to do that. There's many, many books that have been written um, encouraging people to do just that. And so ultimately, I mean, that's ultimately what the mustard's about. You know, it's that renewed sense of morality in the world and creating tools and experiences and, and things that will help people kind of maybe see that as an option. That's awesome. Um, do you want to get more into the mustard right now and, and explain? I would love to hear more about sure. how 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 the, how the principles are baked into the platform because that's that's a really exciting thing. Well, I'll, let me give you some backstory too, just so you kind of understand what, like where it came from. You know, because it's not just I'd be lying if I said I woke up and sprung out of bed from a dream and had this vision. You know what I mean? That's that's not exactly how it went down, although I wish I wish I could tell that story. It's been more out of need and necessity and just in my experiences, right? So in, in the short, we all know what's been going on the last couple of years with COVID and it's impacted the independent film world pretty significantly. You know, like the certainly the, the streaming markets have become more prominent. Theaters are shrinking. Um, you know, their footprint, certainly Spider-Man and what's coming in theaters right now is a big deal to kind of show the viability still of the theater market. But ultimately, it's going to be experiential big things that I think draw people to theater. So ultimately, for the little movie, um, you know, it's going to be driven towards the home. And, you know, I think the independent film market is still trying to figure out its financing model now that it's kind of changed. Right. You can't do you can't go into theaters and do um you know, these kind of one-off weekends and stuff to try to get your production money back, you know, to get yourself into an earning paradigm, et cetera, right? So I don't want to go too far down that that rabbit hole, but, but you know, I'm an independent filmmaker and, you know, I had spent a lot of time in the music world and in the documentary space and I was transitioning out to kind of really try to create impactful kind of um, stories that make a difference in the world. And um, it's not always easy to find financing for things like that because it's impact investing, right? There isn't always a guaranteed return on the investment. It's more about, you know, getting people who care to want to help tell these stories. Um, and as this model has shifted, I was looking at how do we as creators in this space who want to do good, how do we get our message out there? How do we get around, you know, the the agents and the streamers and the big dogs and still allow and still create a way to get content out there while at the same time doing good in the world, right? Educating people. For me, that's a younger demographic. That's tweens, teens, young adults for me. Um, certainly blockchain. And, you know, I have some IP that I'm attached to that I was really over the last year looking at NFT, looking at blockchain as a model and a future of independent film distribution and a way for creators to speak directly to the consumer market. And inside of that too, I was looking at, okay, well, if, if that's possible, then what else is possible inside of that? Because when I look at media, right, and what's going on inside of the paradigm of media right now, fake news, et cetera, et cetera, um, how do we create transparency and authenticity? I really think that authenticity is the secret to a young market. You know, I think it's the doorman to Gen Z and Gen Alpha and beyond. And um, again, I looked at blockchain as a way to create transparency and authenticity, right? From a DAO perspective, if you bring your community in and make every transaction, you know, available to people from a public purview on blockchain. So everything that we're doing is 
fully transparent, fully in the view of the public. We're not acting nefariously behind the scenes. You see what we're paying each other. You see what we're spending our money on investing in. And then the DAO, the community, is helping us make those decisions as far as what we want to do next. What does the community want to, want to see the mustard create next? So we ultimately are creating a vehicle for a creator like myself, the other creators that we want to bring inside of the mustard that have a like mind that want to spread hope in the world um, and begin creating a community of creators inside of this space, the muster that we can, you know, act transparently and then spread content, media, virtual reality, gaming, et cetera, out into the world. And that everyone that's interacting, it knows exactly what they're getting and hopefully they're being entertained by what they're consuming. So that's the long and short of it. Entertainment's a big part of that, but ultimately spreading hope and, you know, looking at tweens, teens, young adults, and providing them the ability to kind of, you know, rise to their potential and get through a lot of the hardships that they experience and are put against through social media, current media landscape. <laughs> Long-winded answer, I know. There was... Um, no, 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 there's a lot to go into. James, go uh, ahead. I was going to say, I mean, when we when we chatted before, I sort of said to uh, I'm on board and uh, I want to... Uh, I want to like believe it's going to happen, but I also said that there's there's also a part of me that is was almost taken aback when you said like you want to push you want to push hope and optimism, right? So you said you know people over opportunities, hope, optimism over sort of uh, almost over profits and the language that we use for those sort of things, right? You start talking about opportunity or uh, profit margins or, or these kind of things, then people are going to be on board. But if you go into a board meeting, I imagine they start saying we're going to make something that's hopeful or we're going to, we're optimistic, right? We're not, we're not, everyone's sort of a, a default cynic these days. And it's sort of refreshing to see someone who uh, sincerely takes, takes the stand for, I oh, no, no, this, you know, to say, no, there's still a, there's still hope, there's, there's still good to be done. And it seems that's what's underlying the whole ethos of whatever's created is that it has to come from a place of, uh, uh, yeah, of hope. Yeah. I mean, I would say specifically to that is, you know, one of my um, uh, advisors and helpers is Garrett Daly, who I believe you guys know. And um, Garrett ran through a really awesome exercise with me where we kind of, you know, it's something that he's developed um, with, I believe, Idea Market and also what he's doing. And it's just a way for, for me to kind of personalize and humanize what the mustard is. And so, and I've really liked that. So in building it, you know, what I found is, and I don't want to be trite here, but I've kind of built a company around me, right? The company kind of looks like me in the sense of its character, its heart, where it's going. And and I'm actually okay with that. You know, in, in past experiences, I would never say that, you know, from a humility standpoint, whatever. But in this regard, right, I'm, I'm actually like, from, from what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to do, the company needs to um, have a human element to it, right? It needs to be, again, I think that's where the authenticity comes. And if someone like me, like you said, walk into a boardroom, start talking about hope. No, people aren't from necessarily, I didn't launch this thing like six weeks ago and people didn't just start throwing money at me. So I'm, I'm having to have these conversations. I'm having to get people to see who I am. So they can then want to look deeper to see what the mustard is. And hopefully they find something similar. My point about all this is, is that when we were going through these things and embodying like, what is it that I really wanted it to become? We started to shape 
the actual messaging of how we want to speak to each demographic. And so what I mean by that is we were looking at the teen market, right? And so if hope is kind of our, our alpha, it's the word, the one word that all decisions have to come back to. So if, if, if a game that we're creating, a, a, a unscripted series, a scripted series, a virtual experience, if it's not ultimately creating something hopeful in the world, then it's the wrong decision for the mustard. But further than that, for a teen market, the teen should be have hope because you can become it, you know, or actually even the young adult market, the tween market, excuse me, should be have hope because you can become it, right? That's why superheroes are so prevalent inside of that, that market, um, you know, because you want to give kids the experiences and the role models and the people that they can look to that be like, I want to be like that person, you know, so that they can have someone that they can kind of reach for and try to try to get to that, whether it's their, their mom or their dad or someone they've met or a superhero, whatever that might be. In that market, it's have hope because you can become it. And then in the teen market, you know, we were all teenagers. High school, et cetera, can be you know challenging for some. And, you know, I know there's a lot of um, factors inside of the teen market and a lot of, you know, different things pulling on you. And, you know, you might not make all the best decisions because you're being, um, you know, influenced in some way to be cool or to run with the crowd or et cetera. And that's why, you know, our experiences inside of the teen market is have hope because you can get through it. Right. So everything that goes on and look, I, I don't want to just say from a hope perspective that everything's going to be fluffy and flowery because that's not that's not what it is, because I truly believe that in this market, we have to be getting down in the weeds. We actually have to go into the darkness. So if you're a teen, right, and we're doing an unscripted series about opioid addiction, that's like that's real. But what we're doing inside of it, how that becomes hopeful is that we show people the way out. We show we give people the tools and the places and the, and the ideas and the thoughts and in which way to inspire them to get through it. Right. So that's have hope because you can get through it as a teen. And then as a young adult, right, you're in college, you're graduating college, you know, we've, we force our young people to, we force purpose upon them, even if they haven't even chosen what their purpose might be. Right. You, you graduate from college, even if you went to college and it's like, get a job, what are you doing for the rest of your life? You need to decide right now, I've never really found that to be the greatest paradigm for young people. And although it does inspire people to kind of get out there and go, but I would like our content, our experiences inside of the young adult market is have hope because you are it, where we can inspire people to have the confidence that they don't necessarily have to be looking at what everyone's telling them. They can kind of, at this point, hopefully they've been able to discern some things that they want to do some things that they're passionate about in their lives and they have the confidence to actually get out and go do it. And we want to be creating virtual experiences actually to empower some of that too. You know, where we're actually creating virtual experiences that are teaching people how to interact in the real world and empower them in the real world um, from being in, inside. I don't want people just to disconnect and live inside of a virtual experience. I want people to thrive in a virtual world so they can apply it to the physical. Awesome. Yeah. Like I, I love the idealism and one of, one of my favorite aspects of what you're, what you're giving people here is the parts of idealism that have an impact that, that are effective. Like there's a sort of uh, a vein of cynicism running through culture right now that sort of says idealism and practicality are at odds with each other, that idealism and effectiveness are at odds with each other. But uh, I think more and more people are seeing that that's not true, that it's it's the kind of radical optimism and hopefulness 
that gets things done in a way that cynicism and pessimism and resignation cannot. And I just love that you're like helping to bake that into uh, young people. Yeah, I mean, I'm just passionate about it. I, I you know, I've, I've done some deep dives in, in the celebrity world and sports and music, and I'm so thankful and I've learned so much and I'm still inspired by all of that stuff. I, I miss it on some level, but I can't get away from the fact that way the world's going right now that um, we really need to be leaning in towards young people. I just, I just think it's so important. I just truly feel when I look around the world, um, I see adults yelling at each other, disagreeing with each other and tearing each other down and, I don't know, man. I, I get there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world, but I think conflict has to be resolved by coming and sitting next to each other, looking at each other and, and making the decision to love each other when we sit down first, even before we get to know each other. Right. And that's what that's how lifting each other up. That's what it looks like. So if you make the decision to love each other before you even know each other, then regardless of you have disagreements, you don't have to like each other necessarily, but you got to keep loving each other. And so inside of that, right, with young people, you know, we have to be giving them hope and inspiring them because they're the fu real future, right? And if we're indoctrinating young people, if we're just trying to force them to be more like us and not creating free thinkers and not teaching them to just to be empathetic human beings, then we're failing as adults and our situation will continue to get worse, not better. 100%, 100%. Uh, uh, from friends who are younger than I am that, you know, the, the next generation of adults is feeling particularly despondent and just existentially lost and confused. Cause I, growing up as a millennial, we at least sort of had, you know, in, institutions had an appearance of, of reality and authority. Mm -hmm. And that has eroded so much over the last 10, 15 years that, that there's not even really a question anymore. And, and young people growing up have no, uh, real models of, of authority that, that, that deserve the title. Yeah. Well, thank you for setting up the mustard perfectly. <laughs> Cause pleasure. That, that's, it's, pleasure. that's its intention, right? Is to be the opposite of that. That's it's, it's hopefully at least in the media landscape, a new model, you know, that can be created and, um, you know, can be profitable. Sure to investors and to people and, you know, like we all need to eat and move and live, et cetera. Um, we all know that, but, at, but at the same time, you know, it's purpose, it's, it's heart is to help. And, you know, if yeah, businesses yeah. are doing that, I just think I look at impact investors, true impact investors, right? The people that are out there who have money that want to give back and do good. Um, you know, I'm still searching for those impact investors that are prepared to lose to, to sow seeds. Um, I don't know if I'll find that, but I'm going to keep looking. And in the meantime, you know, I, I've been been being pushed towards crowdfunding. Um, you know, I've always been a little skeptical of crowdfunding only because, like, I, I've just been trained and looked at life as nothing is free. Right. And I also understand that with money comes a huge amount of responsibility. So if someone gives you a dollar, you need to be, you know, really thankful, appreciative and make sure that you do the right thing with that dollar. Um, so at the same time, I know the intention of the mustard is okay. So I'm leaning into maybe going into blockchain crowdfunding and other crowdfunding areas to just kind of create the seed to get going so that we can prove it on our own. And then the investors, the impact people can, you know, will want to come underneath us because we've already proven what we're, what we're doing, what we're about. And our community is saying yes to it.
you know, that's kind of, that's the initial thinking right now. Open, certainly open to new ideas and, and, and thoughts and people that want to come in and make an impact with us. But ultimately that's kind of our, um, the goals right now and how we're trying to raise and just build awareness through meeting people like yourselves. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, um, I, another thing that I appreciate about the way you're doing this is your, the mustard is basically a big bet on, on hope being important on, on, on the optimism being important and effective. And, uh, those, those kinds of things are really important as examples to say, Hey, it's okay to bet on these things. There's the cynicism is just so thorough. Like it's only been a couple generations since Gandhi used love and nonviolence mm. to uh to convince the british empire to leave india mm-hmm. and so there's there's not really a scientific basis for doubt in the forces of of these kinds of uh positive uh love-based solutions uh and yet they're they're nowhere in public discourse and so by giving you know credibility and weight and uh popularity and social status to these things i think we we give people the the power to experiment with them and really see what they can do i just think that's awesome i totally agree and it's not about you know anyone that comes in board inside of the mustard it's not about one person right it's not about me as a creator needing to make my concepts that that is absolutely not what this is about you know what i mean like certainly as a creator i want to make things that i care about and i'm passionate about right well, who wouldn't right because you have these ideas and you want to see them come to life but again, like I've in my career, I've been able to be a creator and an executive. I've kind of worn both hats, you know, essentially, you know, a decade in both arenas, um, you know, makes me kind of a little bit more well-suited, though, to be able to check my ego, right? And to really, I've worked hard on checking my ego overall um, to work towards the greater good, right? Is that is if someone's got a better idea, if someone has a piece of content that's, that's stronger, something has an idea that creates more hope, then that's what we should be focusing on. And that's ultimately, again, the spirit of lifting each other up, you know, what's right for the whole, what's right for the mustard, what's actually spreading hope and creating positive seeds inside of culture. That's the right decision. Was there a tipping point when you realized at a particular moment, like this is what I have to focus 100% of my attention on and make real. Was was there a particular moment that, that you realized that this was an, such an incredibly core principle for you? Uh, I mean, well, certainly the, you know, COVID forced my hand. I had a film come out. So I, I was working on, um, I did a film called Never Again, um, which is a feature documentary. It was about a, a an Auschwitz survivor named Irving Roth and a, you know, a kind of a, a learned guy who was learning to kind of move into the, the Shahadist realm, um, who had been taught a lot of hate in his life. Um, and so I was really like passionate about this film, right? And we juxtaposed these two guys and basically we're using it as a, as an example, my first example into the world, you know, from a content perspective to be like, we can unpack the things we've learned in our life, the hatred we've been, that we've been taught or we've experienced and repack it with the things that matter, which is love and lifting each other up. And these two guys who really should be at odds were able to do that. And they were an example because they were able to find love and see each other and actually unpack all of the hatred that they'd learned and experienced and just saw two people. Right. And I just think that's so beautiful. Now to answer your question that came out in theaters last October and basically like seven people went 
And so again, like, you know, spreading hope isn't like you're saying, it's just not, not only did COVID throw a damper on that, but culturally and, you know, raising and finding the vehicles for distribution for these things aren't necessarily easy to do. And it was really that, 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 that kind of realization, that anxiety about the future that, um, you know, and I, I, I had a moment of our three days or, you know, early on really in like kind of March of 2020, where I just was kind of like, whoa, what happens now? You know what I mean? Like this mission, I feel like I, I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm at a point in my career where I'm finally capable to really go and accomplish these tasks and the world's falling apart. And that's when I really started looking at future tech and that's when I really started leaning into and also NFTs were happening. Right. And I, NFTs just make sense to me. I know a lot of people go, I don't get it, but to me, it's just a digital piece of merchandise. Um, and um, that can be gamified and traded. And, you know, I'd like this stuff. I'm always reading about this stuff and I just saw opportunity. Honestly, I just saw that technology, even though it's, it is probably one of the true isolating forms in our world right now that's that's pulling people apart. If we look at it properly and actually flip the paradigm again on tech, we can use it to empower people because it's becoming so powerful that we can actually use it the right way, right? So not to sell the farm, I'm going to tell you an idea I have about the far- a farm, right? And, you know, we might make this idea, we might not. And I hope I'm not giving away too much here, but it's okay. Again, transparency. Um, for instance, right? So as, let's say the metaverse continues to grow and people now truly can choose between, you know, living inside a virtual world or a physical world, you can actually go to work in the virtual world versus the physical, et cetera, right? People will literally, in my opinion, within five to 10 years have the options, to where they, how they want to go forward. And that scares me a little bit because I just think that we're never going to get to the place of mutual uplifting if we're actually getting further and further apart, having less social interaction, not actually seeing each other and only interacting as avatars. Like that's probably not awesome for culture as a whole to be continuing more alienating and more alien. However, though, I look at the virtual world as a really powerful tool towards the physical, right? So autism, right? The idea of of autistic people and even people that have experienced deep trauma in their lives, you know, kind of lose the ability to read body language and innuendo. Or what if you create virtual experiences that are helping you to understand innuendo and body language and you're applying it to these people that need it so that when they interact back into the physical world, they're more prepared for it. Or you're building a farming game that's pure gamified, right? That you're learning, it's, it's attached to real climate science and nitrogen levels and soils. And it's, it's a game in the virtual world. And you're actually like tilling soil and making things grow. And everything that you grow turns into a generative NFT that's completely unique that you can sell and you can trade. Meanwhile, when the... SHIT hits the fan and, you know, the world doesn't know how to operate anymore because everyone's been relying on tech. There's going to be a group of people that are like, well, actually, I know how to farm. 
<laughs> so this little game that they were playing in the virtual that's world, a great idea actually um, apocalypse prep as a game uh, yeah but it's that earns you money before the apocalypse and, so it, that and it's do cool it. and that's, you're spreading hope and joy that. with generative flowers that you grew in your virtual farm and you know it's it's a community driven thing but you're actually learning real tools that to me is what the metaverse is about that's what the mustard wants to do not only does it want to make you know, look when i was 13 i watched um some you know kind of cutting edge films in the early 80s that were about metaverse and so i was about 12 13 i've been thinking about this it's just the tech was never there and now that it's here i have all of these ideas i've been saving since i was a kid to kind of apply into it like we can create you know you can be indiana jones you know in the virtual world we can do so much there from a storytelling perspective that i'm really excited about the future as long as we're doing it and treating it the right way. Cause you know, resident evil four was just the number one virtual game in the world. And I, I don't know if a 10 year old picks up his Oculus and starts playing resident evil four, if that's awesome. I don't know if that is. So I would like some alternatives in the world where maybe that 10 year old can put on his virtual device and till some soil and learn some skills. Well, one of, what, when, we were, when we were talking before Carl, I mean, one of the great, examples that you gave i mean it's not something i've ever campaigned for but it's something that that i'm definitely on the side of you were mentioning the sea world campaigns right the mm. anti-sea world campaigns of the, the the fact that these these creatures are kept in what is the equivalent of them for like a puddle for their entire lives when they yeah. should be out swimming in the oceans and yeah. utilize and same with zoos as well and we were on about basically that what really what you really have there in terms of sea world and zoos is even though we both agreed it's bad to look at animals as just like a resource what you really have is a rare resource right uh, which is very difficult to have in a certain location but loads of people want to see it giraffes zebras etc you shove them into zoos they pretend they're con conservation projects even though they're not really doing all that much and then these animals have to spend their entire lives in tiny cages because it really because they're a rare resource and it's very difficult to sort of maintain them and one of the first things that a sufficiently advanced virtual reality with enough definition which i think we're at this stage could do is basically go look we don't need SeaWorld anymore because you can literally you can be you can pretty much touch a whale if you wanted to right mm -hmm. and if you get enough people who no longer go to SeaWorld, it becomes unprofitable and you don't have SeaWorld anymore and you don't have and you've erased a fair amount of suffering for 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 animals and yep. this this whole idea is basically using vr to sort of circumvent resource problems right it's like exactly well no right. now now we have as much of that as we want yeah and you can do with it what you want yeah and it's a it pretty incredible a tool but as we were saying the great the great the deep sort of sadness of it is we both agreed on this is that when the metaverse was first announced in terms of zuckerberg's metaverse which seems to be the big you know the big leviathan yeah. type one is that fifth avenue commerce yeah it's clear that from all the adverts and the way he's spoken about it he sees it basically as a giant virtual shopping mall for mm -hmm. coming here and you buy some shirts and you buy some goodies and you deck out your house and it's like you know as you were saying the immediate thing that you saw was you're using this technology wrong like this technology isn't for that you can do that Again. now on amazon you can go buy a load of shirts why did you have to ruin this amazing technology which could bring a ton of hope and possibility yeah. and enjoyment to the world and just go hmm what should we do what we've been doing for the last 20 years again and yeah, waste this exactly. technology <laughs> yeah uh, meanwhile as we know you know depression anxiety amongst young people is skyrocketing you know like something's not right 
<laughs> so, you know, and it, it's, it's pretty obvious to say, and it's so annoying, right. As a guy who was gaming in the eighties and, and, and loves it. Right. I love, I love that competition and it's fun, you know, when you're, you know, we were told in those days that, you know, this stuff is corruptive and all of that. And then here you are now, 20 plus years later and you're the older guy in the room being like, Oh, you were kind of right. You know, like that, that is in one part annoying, but at the same point is the reason we have to act right is because 20 years ago we were foreseeing this and we've done nothing. And here we are 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, and we're still just pushing the same paradigm. Let's make money through getting as many people to engage in something versus let's get as many people to engage in something positive and because they do it'll probably make money you know what i mean like let's build something that is quality and is helping and doing good and if it if the experience is done properly and it's you know entertaining and it's effective and it's impactful people will show up and then the money will still be there and we can still you know, like there's this mobile game that we want to develop called Dominion, which again, it's a world building game attached to um, real life climate science. And, you know, I had this project called the 1% Coalition that I tried to pitch 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I had Johnny Depp involved with me. I brought it to Disney. It's this big environmental thing that if we all do 1% more for our planet, we can change the world. That idea for me was my 1% was picking up five pieces of trash a day. It's still my 1%. And so, you know, inside of what we're trying to build, right? So we have a mobile game called Dominion, which is teaching you about climate science and you're building kind of your building worlds inside of that. And then you, you shift it over to our traditional media world. And we have this experiential kind of, you know, first person action thing where you are the athlete and we're using, you know, I'll use my, the first film that we created called Water, which you, you use, you actually start at the top of the mountain and you use snow and snow melt to go through our rivers and waterways out to our oceans. And we're hitting every different kind of demographic sport along the way while at the same time showcasing nature and human beings, athletic feats inside of it. While at the same time inside of this experience, we're time lapsing to different parts of the world. So you might now be underwater in Tonga, right, for a scene, and you're watching a humpback being bored, and you come up out of it in a first-person POV, and next thing you know, you're actually Kelly Slater, and you're inside of a barrel at cloud break in Indonesia, ripping, and then you fall into the water, and you time-lapse, and now you land, and you're in the Sitaram River in Indonesia, one of the most dirty bodies of water in the whole world, and you're immersed in garbage, and you're just like, what is going on? And then you time lapse again. And next thing you know, you're at the top of a fjord and you're falling forward in your bird suit. Right? So the, this whole kind of experience was really trying to inspire people to see our planet differently. So we have this media thing that exists inside of the mustard, which are all these things. And there's documentaries attached to every, the Sitarum, the Ganges, the Mississippi, all of the different places that you hit. Because we're not going to sit and preach to you inside of movies. I actually find that to be something as a filmmaker and a storyteller, I don't want to do, I don't want to preach to people. I want to show people and inspire them to action. So, you know, this whole concept was driven towards that. And then to your point, James, to take it further, right, in a virtual experience, while we're doing all these things, we have our game, we have our documentaries, we have our film, it's all driven by original scores by recording artists, and you can bring it on tour and do Cirque installations of all of this, my, the point of all of this, right? And then there's virtual experiences so you can 
be next to the whale and watch a humpback give birth. And you can do that in a virtual world and inspire kids. So I know this is a lot, but the point of all of this is, is that media can be interconnected, right? And so, so that we've already shown like through mobile gaming and documentary and, and storytelling and scripted and virtual that we have a concept that runs through all of the different platforms of what the mustard is. Its purpose is to educate people and inspire people to be stewards of our planet and to respect it. And the virtual side of it, right, is one of the things inside of this concept when I was building is I met a guy named Leonard Beckham. And he was a um, university professor at Stanford in Palo Alto. And he was an advisor to the Clinton administration in ecology. Um, and uh, he looked at me and he was just like, I love your concept, but how do you quantify it? How do you actually show, you know, so ultimately one thing I'm leaving out is the purpose of it was we wanted to educate people 11 years ago about plastic in our ocean and the gyres that were forming in these, you know, plastic garbage heaps that are building in our oceans. We wanted to educate people about that because they didn't know. And his response to me was, how does some kid who is poor living in the inner city, why does he care about a piece of plastic? And it really lit me up in the sense that you're right. Why would you? Right. So to go full circle here in a virtual world, if we're showing people, you know, these people that might not have the ability to have these experiences themselves, whose parents might not be able to take them to Hawaii or to the Caribbean or whatever. And in the virtual world, we can take kids who have never had these experiences and put them underwater and have them have these things and see how you can interact with our planet and how it can literally if you if you look at it the right way, it can move you as much as we move it. Then all of a sudden, these kids who never had that experience are now understanding the value of why stewardship of our planet matters. We're inspiring people to not throw garbage out the window. We are being able to actually quantify the amount of people that are interacting with it and, and start showing the fact that it's doing good through curriculums and things that can be based off of it. And I know, again, this is idealistic. This is a big concept, blah, blah, blah. But that's that's it. That's what we're trying to do is that we have to go big. Um, and if we end up with just one mobile game that teaches people about clim climate science, then so be it. But you know, the point is, is that we just have to be creating experiences because the tech is there and we can be showing people there's other ways to do things. And it doesn't have to be all about pillaging and tearing down it can be about building up and sharing and community and you know experience <laughs> i know that was a lot sorry no not at all um i think the the show don't tell ethos is really you know strong and awesome and important like there's so much of the way these problems are communicated these days is kind of like with a moralistic hammer like you Correct. must x or you are y and if you like can, um, I guess I don't want to say impregnate, but like if you, it can, you can imbue someone with the internal motivation, sure. the set, the personal relationship with these issues and with their own responsibility and, and, and empowerment. Um, I, I think that that could be so powerful because, uh, and this, this is something that relates to how I, uh, have been working on idea market too, is with the presupposition that the world is basically runs on decisions that even in terms of like war and physical conflict, when, when, when a war is happening, 
the goal isn't to kill all of the people on the other side. It's to convince the enemy leadership to make a decision in your favor. And so even at the most um, concentrated, the most intense kinds of human conflict, that's all based on decision-making and persuasion. And if we can give people uh, the experiences that can um, make healthier, more beneficial decisions seem more sane and more within reach and more good and give people that, that motivation to make decisions that are uh, idealistic and optimistic and hopeful. Uh, that's really, I think, where the seat of power is for making you know, the kinds of changes that need to happen. Yeah. And again, like you said, you're, you're exactly right. And kids are really, truly the vehicle to it right you know if we can be planting these seeds you know with kids and influencing them and and in in a positive way you know inspiring them i guess i should say not influencing them but inspiring them through experiences and and through positive storytelling and etc then then hopefully they start making those decisions as they become adults and we shift the paradigm you know i just think yeah, we yeah. have to I remember hearing that the word education comes from the Latin a ducare, a meaning out from and ducare, I think to, to draw or to like attract. It's the word education means technically to draw out of someone. Like we typically think of it as okay. filling someone in with information and facts and whatever. But uh, I think that that kind of approach is, is like really aligned with, with, with what you're talking about like giving giving people these things that that plant the wellspring of inspiration um and and bring out what what they have and what they what they can do yeah i, I think it's really important i've been someone you know there's there's a couple directors probably in the world that you know i was i gave a chance to when i was at sony you know who maybe not have gotten chances other way and um i just think again like the the muster needs to be the voice for people like that you have to give creators, you know, a place that where they can create and spread hopefulness. And you got to do exactly what you said, create, you know, empower them and build these experiences for people so we can, you know, create real change. Yeah. This distribution rails for optimism. That makes perfect sense. Why should, why should the cynics have all the fun and all the power? I, to, I mean, that's actually, I've never really thought of it that way, but that's really well said. You're right. Why should they? And why do we allow it? Yeah. Meanwhile, when all of us sit at home, really looking at our families and our friends, wanting things to be good, why do we sit yeah, and allow exactly. it not to be? Exactly. Exactly. That's 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 such a core frustration for me too. That we have all this power and all this ability and all these resources, and they're sitting basically within reach, like an object on a table, and they could relieve the suffering of the people in our lives, and they're just not getting used. Mm -hmm. They're just not getting done. There's this absolutely absurd, you know, quantity of missed opportunities um, that are that are just sitting there. And it comes back to decisions. It comes back to imagination. It comes back to optimism and perseverance. Uh, I think by yeah, and just by bridging these gaps and giving people a sense of what's possible, and also making it cool to participate in that, like this this association of cynicism with coolness. Is really too bad. I really like that's, this thought. That's, that's yeah. 
That's really strong. Yeah, it's 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 super core. Cool. Thank you, thank you. I'm so glad, and I I feel like it resonates, you know, for for what we're each trying to do. Um, that yeah, like social status is kind of used as a weapon to 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 make optimism uncool, and to make the empowerment that comes with these sort of positive solutions uh, uncool and discourage people away from that. So if if we can create, you know, for example, a media empire. I, I mean, the word empire sounds kind of scary right. and terrible, but if you want to be an emperor, if you want to be a prince, if you think that's cool, there needs to be a structure for you to uh, to find the the social support that you know that comes from participating in that in that set of principles. Yeah, it's the um, again. That, that's not in the. Yeah. To give credit to Garrett, he um, he brought up Danicles' sword to me inside of building the mustard. I don't know if you are. From... I don't. I don't know that reference. No, please, please. Tell so Danicles' sword was essentially a king who had a member of his kingdom come to him and said, "You have everything. You're so great. How awesome it is to be you." And the king looked at him and was just like, "You're you welcome to sit in my chair." And to do, but to do so, all you have to do is sit underneath this sword that will be hanging above you, held by a horse's hair, one one thread of a horse. So, if you're prepared to sit under the risk that you could die at any moment, that's what it means to be a leader. And I really like that idea. There haven't been many things in my life where I've actually said I'm prepared to sit underneath that sword, except for the one percent coalition and the mustard. They're really, and just my, you know, obviously my family and my child and just kids in general, I will sit underneath the sword for any kid. But, um, but ultimately that's what it's about. That's what the mustard means to me. It means that much to me, you know, spreading culture, you know, hope into culture. And like what you're saying to, to make optimism cool is that's a, that's a sword I'm happy to sit underneath. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. I, I, our, our mission is basically exactly the same, just, you know, kind of from a different angle. Yeah. And that's why, again, like, we need to empower one each other. And that's why I'm so grateful to be here with you today. You know, like, I, I want to, I want to get out and talk. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to, again, from a cynicism perspective, not everyone, who's this person? What have you done? You know, all of these things are such barriers in society. When really a good idea should open doors, you know, if, if the idea is sound and, and enough people start to hear it, hopefully people start opening the doors for the idea versus closing them because of the person. I, I hope that I don't know if I articulate that the right way. But again, it's that idea of, of choosing people over opportunity. Right. It's just we, we have if it's a good idea, we got to come next to, you know, like I was going that before. It's not necessarily just about me. If someone comes into the muster and has a great idea, we all need to get behind that person and that idea to make it right. If it's going to benefit the, the, the greater good. Totally agree with you. So, um, Cal, I mean, where, if you're happy to talk about it publicly, whereabouts um, are you with uh, the mustard at the moment? Where, where does it, everything stand? Well, we just... Initially, when I went out with it, you know, I I thought I was going out with this like great thing, right? But this is how this is the evolution always of what it is that you have to fail. So um, I'm okay with failure as a creator. You know, it makes you better. So um, I'm not saying the mustard failed, but we went out and I created this website and started a, a crowd fund and 
you know, ultimately for me, I'm not someone this for me and putting myself out there into like the world has never been something I'm comfortable with. I'm cool to talk. I'm cool to share ideas. I enjoy doing it, but I've never been someone to be like, Hey, this is me. Check me out. Look at what I'm doing. It's just not something I'm comfortable with. So I think I had mentioned it to you, James, I recorded this video, right. For the mustard that lives on side of the website. And it was just kind of this kind of heartful um, plea to the world to be like, check out what we're doing, come along board, help support us. And when I created that, the amount of anxiety I had in, in putting myself on, I'm a professional filmmaker, right? And I built a little you know, lighting and stuff and I built a little scene and lit it and shot it and did the audio and all that. And to hit submit on that and to actually launch the mustard for me was literally like climbing Everest. And the feeling I got in the rush of fear and everything that kind of went through me as I hit submit ultimately told me I was on the right path because I was so afraid of putting it out there. So I put it out there probably about six weeks ago, right, and launched this thing and built a little um, blast on Twitter and Instagram. And um, I've attracted some people and some interest. Um, I attracted a couple people initially that are now team members with me. Um because they just got in, they just saw the vision. And that ultimately to me, even though it wasn't this giant windfall of investment and all that, I'm actually okay with it because through these couple people that came on board, we've been able to really refine and define what the mustard is to the point where I can sit in forums like this and talk about it. So we launched a new website this weekend, actually. So there's a new website on the mustard.co that actually the initial run was more of like a, Hey, this is the idea and this is the heart behind it. And now it actually, if you land on the mustard.co, you actually see a business that has potential to actually happen. And so what we've been doing is sure the hopefulness, all of these things that we care about as human beings that we're trying to put out into the world matter. But I also do understand investing in ROI and how these people want to kind of come on board. So building a True, you know, a transparent multimedia DAO. You know, that's what we're trying to build. That's where we're at right now with the mustard. Everything else aside, if you're an investor and you want to look at independent film and the models of what distribution looks like and cutting out the middleman and being able to go direct from you know direct from the creator to the consumer, and you see that as as the future and trading in tokens and living inside a blockchain and transparency, then you shouldn't be investing in the mustard because that's what we're going to build. It just happens to be at the same time while we're building this multimedia entity that's transparent and as a DAO and community driven and, you know, a positive place, we also have a mission, right, to spread hope. So that's where it's at right now. And so we're about to relaunch it. You know, we're, we're looking for, ultimately, I'm looking for a CTO that wants to come on board with us that, you know, shares our vision that can, you know, really help us take us and, and solidify us into a blockchain world and cement our DAO, you know, where we are looking at some partners already um, and some entities that already exist that can, we can just create our DAO, um, Juicebox, et cetera. Um, so that's where we're at right now. You know, I'm still evolving and growing and looking for investment. You know, I have, I have five pieces of media. I've got a game, two or three games that we've conceptualized. You know, we need, but we need some, we need some investment. Ultimately, we need some money behind us so we can start proving it, so that we can start building these games and experiences, and get our CTO involved, and you know, start bringing it to market. Um, 
again, I, I know this is a long winded answer that basically says we're nowhere, but you know, we are, um, we're growing and we're defining who we are as a culture and a vision so that when we actually get money behind us, we don't fail because we'll know exactly who we are and what we're trying to do. And I think we're there, you know, I think we're ready to actually start receiving funds now. And so we, we might start a crowdfund inside a blockchain um, and see what's, in, you know, to really kind of lean into the, the, you know, the crypto investor who sees a multimedia transparent, you know, DAO is a good thing and seeing we can get some attraction there. But Again, you know, I'm always looking for that angel investor that, you know, wants to make an impact. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a, um, to be transparent and from a weakness perspective, you know, I'm not necessarily, I'm a builder of worlds, not necessarily a builder of businesses. You know, I'm just not geared that way. I've never been driven towards wanting to be rich or to make all the money in the world. I'm, I'm honestly, truly, whether you believe it or not, geared towards, driven towards wanting people to love each other. And I just happen to be creative and have had, you know, nurturing parents who have allowed me to, um, you know, build that creativity through my life to have the confidence to actually want to put ideas into the world. That's who I am. That's what I do is I'm just never stopping coming up with ideas and concepts that can help do good. And so I'm, I'm really looking for the partners and the people that want to support that vision um, so that I can support them. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, to totally identify with that. Um, and part of the advantages of, of having a DAO is you can attract so many different kinds of people with different skill sets that all have their own, you know, reasons and angles to participate and, and help yep. advance. You know, it's a wild west, mission, you yeah. know, and of course, if yeah. you're a creator and you work in this place, you know, like I've just said yes, my whole career and figured it out. Right. I've learned as I've gone. There's imposter syndrome every step of the way. I think if if I hadn't gone through all of those times saying yes and succeeding and failing through all of those experiences, I don't know where I would, how I would feel trying to create this company, you know, just because of the fact Could, that it's scary, you know, and, and, yeah. but it's okay because it's worth it. hundred percent. And it, it is scary. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, can you, would you be willing to share kind of more of your life story? Cause I, you, We've mentioned that, you know, you worked with some, some sure. well-known names, yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. I'm sure are curious about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, um, I'm not a kiss and tell type person, so I probably won't give all the meat and potatoes that people are looking for with some of my associations, sure. no, 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 but no. I will, um, no, just, no, just the, uh, just the, the path, but the path the has path. been, um, so I graduated in the mid nineties, um, from in Wisconsin and I started a record label called tube tone records. Um, with a guy named Chris Aaron, who was this gunslinger kind of guitar slinger, I should say, uh, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan type guy. And we made a couple of blues records and, um, you're kidding me. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Actually. He, he passed, um, a number of years ago, oh, sorry. uh, but he was an amazing human being. Um, he would be right next to me inside of this concept for sure. And he was just ripped. And so we, you know, I just love music. That's just kind of something that's always inspired me. I was an athlete growing up and, you know, I played ice hockey. And if I, if I wasn't going to play in the NHL and music was really the only other path for me based on when I was in my twenties. Right. So um, I ended up um, my dad 
you bless him. He helped support me and, and helped me through with my education. And I was two years into having this record label. And I was also, it's important to note too, like the kid thing for me, I'm proud of this moment to be able to say this is that um, we were a little label trying to like make ends meet. Right. So we were like booking shows. Like I was working for beer at the point, at that point, basically. So I still needed to pay rent and stuff. So I worked at a daycare. 21 years old, working at a daycare in Madison, Wisconsin, changing other people's kids' diapers. I didn't really know too many other 21-year-old dudes who were doing that. Um, Why I bring that up is that it points to the fact that that's what kids have always mattered to me. And I couldn't think of, as I was trying to do this, I couldn't think of anything that would inspire me more than just to be around a bunch of kids. So I ended up working in the kindergarten room for a while. And I was the guy who got to hang with his arms out while I had seven kids hanging on me and be the, you know, the robot dude walking around the room. It was awesome. I loved it. Um, At that time though, my dad was like, Hey, would you mind getting a real job? Kind of like paid for your education and stuff. So, um, so I went on this whole, like, you know, was interviewing and stuff. I ended up taking a job at Xerox in Connecticut. For the absolute wrong reasons. I took it because they paid me the most money. Um, my dad was a printer. It was in that lane. I knew that was probably, would probably make him happy. And um, so I took the job and I went there and I was absolutely miserable. And was 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 able to and did was actually doing a good job, you know. Like I, you know, was fine. It was I was in marketing and sales, and but I wasn't happy, you know. And like I'm I'm affected by my surroundings, et cetera. And so if you know I was not good, and I was like, how do I change it? So I ended up they convincing them to tra- transfer me to New York City. And my intention was there. I was sorry, Xerox, but my intention was to leave. And um, I was running around during the day trying to do um, interviews at record labels. So I would like show up as like in the suit. And I actually had ended up getting a job at Sony Music, but it took me like seven or eight, nine different interviews to different people inside of that world to actually land a job. And the people that were still there after were like, we didn't hire you because you showed up in a suit. Right. So that was music business. And um, but I ended up getting a job uh, answering the phone um, in the music video department at Epic Records in 99 and that was really where it all kind of started for me and dvd at that time was just kind of coming out right so 97 was kind of when dvds were commercially available to the public i bought one the first week they were available i think every paycheck i made uh i i got at that point i would go straight to the dvd store and buy movies and, and concert films you know it just was I just loved it. I just loved that experience. I've always just wanted to tell story and be around story and loved music. And that's where all my money went. So then when I found myself inside of Epic, no one wanted to do DVD because at the time it was just taking VHS content and turning it to DVDs, right? So it was just a licensing job, really. It wasn't a really a creative job, but I was, I saw the future in it. Um, I've always been able to kind of look around corners a little bit in my life. And, um, I raised my hand and I was like, I'll do it. And so in six months, I got out of the assistant chair and moved into a manager position, DVD, and was, I didn't know it at the time, but I was learning a ton about licensing and rights and all the legal inside of creation. And that, you know, I'm so thankful for that now, you know, because I still lean on that education that I got those days. Um, And you know, I'm not going to, this is like an Austin Powers moment where I'm going to invent, I, I invented the question mark, but um, my boss and I, um, our bosses 
um, DVD was still a pretty young thing and we knew we needed to attract people into this marketplace, you know, since we were just repurposing product. Um, so the powers that be allowed us to buy some cameras internally at Epic. And we started our own in-house production company inside there. And myself and a couple other people became the people that were, who were out shooting, doing, you know, on tour with artists, started doing, you know, in studio stuff. And we created, you know, bonus features on our DVD content. So I'm not saying we created bonus features, but we were definitely one of the major entities in the world that we're doing at first. And it, it really drove us. But it also, for me personally, drove me as a creator and a director and a producer. Because now I had a camera in my hand, I'm embedding with artists, I'm learning how to keep my mouth shut and just do the job. And... Um, at the same time, I was heading to Sony Music Studios and sitting in edit rooms at night. And, you know, my boss was a you know was was pretty tough guy at the time and really demanding. And you know, you, you were doing you know you'd be up for forty eight hours, you know, in an edit room making stuff happen. And like, I didn't realize, even though I was miserable at the time, how thankful I am for what that work ethic and that kind of like brazen and fire did to me and for me. Um, later in my career. So, so again, that went on now. I, I took from basically 2000 to 2007, I was the head of DVD production for Sony Music and I was across Columbia and Epic Records. So I did all of the concert films for whether it was Destiny's Child or Beyonce, Shakira, Jennifer Lopez. Um, worked with a lot of young bands too, Augustana, bands like Incubus, Ozzy Osbourne, Korn, Rage Against the Machine. Um, you know, I touched the line of a lot of these incredible artists and i'm so grateful you know because i was just like a, a kid from the midwest who was just stoked to be there um and was just learning a lot and observing a lot and um, then in 07 um, whether i liked it or not you know in that time napster also started basically the same week i started at sony so the whole time i'm there i think when i started at epic there were 26 of us in the music video department across both coasts and when i left in 2010 from Epic Records, I was the last one standing. Um, and um, we had gone through just basically a bloodletting for 11 years there. And it was hard in the music business at that time. I think I had eight or seven or eight bosses. And it was, wasn't awesome. And now I can, from 07 to 10, you know, it was still kind of a tough time. Now I kind of took over the MTV music video world. So I was doing the, you know, the proper music videos as well. Ironically, at that time, my head of marketing and our president at, at our, my company, they didn't get along too hot. And um, the reason I bring that up is when I was in high school and when I was in college, I wrote a lot. I did a lot of poetry, my, even though my wife, uh, if I write her a poem, she'll slap me. But um, I like poetry. And uh, so I was writing a lot of poetry and showed stories and stuff. And I had always really loved creating and writing and um, I did it as a hobby more than anything else. But now here I was stuck between two people going like, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. And so I ended up taking all of their concepts and I started writing my own music video treatments and then bringing it out to directors and basically telling directors, this is an educational document for you. So if you want to take it and transform it into your own you know, vision, please do or come up with an original idea. But if you do this, it's probably going to work out for you. And it was actually a really successful because we ended up making a lot of you know, videos that worked, that were successful for everyone was happy with it. But ultimately for me, it got me writing and it got me back on the creative path out of the kind of executive producer, producer path I had been on. And I started to have confidence again as a creator 
you know, I've been directing and shooting and now I'm writing again. And in 2010, um, Sony made the decision to go freelance and ba basically gave me the opportunity um, and a parachute to, to leave. So I did. And I started Upper Falls, which is uh, the company that I'm at now. Um, and that first year at Upper Falls, I developed the 1% Coalition, which I shared with you earlier, brought that to Disney. Um, and then I got a phone call from Sony because I left in good terms, thankfully. Um, I, hopefully, I'm a decent enough person to be able to do that most of the time. Um, and um, I got a phone call from a, a friend at Sony. was like, hey, will you go out with this band called One Direction? Um, they're from the UK. They uh, took third place on X Factor, boy band. I was like, hell no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That is not who I am. I'm a deadhead blues guy, you know, who um, that's just not my lane. And, um, but, you know, it seemed like a good opportunity and it was fun. And so I did it. So I went out for 10 days with One Direction. And I am so glad I did. Um, because that turned into four and a half years, um, whereas their official documentarian and photographer, uh, we went around the world three times. You know, I was able to, I didn't actually work for the label or management. I worked for them directly. They ended up hiring me directly and kind of, you know, I was on some, I was kind of like the naughty uncle. I was sometimes a mentor, sometimes an advisor, sometimes just a, a friend. Um, I would say today I'm a friend. Um, you know, I have a lot of love and admiration for those guys. Um, they, they went through, I was able to have a fly in the wall seat to the anomaly in culture, um, what they, the juggernaut that they were. And, you know, I'm proud to say who they all are as human beings today. And if I had a little bit to do with that, then I'm proud of that too. Um, that, you know, I, I still have a relationship with all of them today, but, you know, that relationship, Harry Styles and I were pretty close. Um, and uh, he ended up inviting me along for his first year um, as he transitioned. And I was his documentarian for his um, debut album, um, was there with him for the recording process through all of it, um, documenting the recording process, doing photography. So his liner notes for his first move, for his first record and the documentary that came out was a collab between myself and another production company that did the live stuff. Um, super amazing. You know, I, I have a lot of love for Harry. He's done incredible things for me personally, and um, I'm proud of what he's doing. He's someone out in the world spreading kindness um, and, you know, trying to be a good human being, doing good things in the world. So I support him always. Um, at that time, though, I had a three-year-old. Um, I had my wife and I got pregnant during the One Direction years for those like four minutes I was home. And uh, um, so now I had a three-year-old and, you know, those guys, Harry especially was involved in my life and knew, you know, my son and um, made the decision really, a really hard decision to walk away from that um, and to leave there um, and to be a daddy and to come home and um, to try to find new avenues um and i was starting to change a lot during this time too as a dad right you know like looking at my son your priorities shift you know whether you like it or not they just do and um that was you know I, that wasn't easy for me you know i had been i basically been gone for five years on the road seven months a year and right next to the flame so to speak you know what i mean and so that that's a hard thing to walk away from 
Um, I would be lying if I said I don't miss it still um, because it's an incredible thing to experience. There's nothing like it. Um, But I ended up, this is, I know you can't make this stuff up, but I ended up, um, I made, uh, Harry and I watched a lot of football together. We ended up going to a Packer game. We met met Aaron Rodgers. And then Aaron, um, right around this time, wanted to do a documentary too. So I ended up getting a phone call from him and, uh, I in, in then embedded with him much to my wife's displeasure because I had just gotten home and I ended up embedding with him for a season and did a lot of documentary work with him. Um, and we ended up uh, traveling the world a little bit together. We went to India and met the Dalai Lama um, and um, we went to Africa, did mission trips. And a lot of that was about he and I were talking a lot about what we're talking about, about integrity, about honor about um about positivity and you know loving each other unpacking the things we learn repacking it with the things that matter you know a lot of those buzzwords that are, that are kind of part of my vernacular now were being developed during that time um but it was also and i know this is like a huge name drop but it's I, but it's true so um when we were with the dalai lama um you know i was excited to go and do that it's such a unique thing right we were in dharamsala we were with we were we were personally escorted there from this guy named lama tenzin lama tenzin is awesome he lives in anaheim he's like the tibetan ambassador to the united states and you know he loves the entertainment world he was you know like the, he was he's a member of the beastie boys essentially because of their tibetan concert in dc like so he's just an awesome guy Super, you know, but and he's a real, you know, he was born in the palace. Uh, his father was the, you know, personal um, seamster for the Dalai Lama. You know, designed all of his, built all of his clothes, etc. Um, so he brought us there and, and brought us into the room. And the Dalai Lama, obviously, amazing experience. But what he said to me was what really stuck with me. He looked at the room and he was basically like, as filmmakers, because he saw the cameras, he was like, as filmmakers and thought leaders, you have a mission in life. And that mission is to educate people's hearts over their minds. And that really stuck with me. And I was just kind of like, you are correct, Dalai Lama. I agree. And um, so basically from that moment, I really then started leaning into my own spirituality um, you know, I was looking at, you know, Siddhartha, a Hindu Buddhist book. There's a big book in my life. I read it when I was 15. It's been a guide to me in my life. Um, but I was looking at all different kinds of angles of spirituality. I was looking at Eckhart Tolle. I was reading Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. Like I was going all over the map, just searching for myself on some level, right? Going inward, trying to define who I was so I would be better suited to be able to go back out, right? That's, that's where I was in that moment in my life. Um, and ultimately, that's what led me to make the Never Again movie, which was the jihadist and the Auschwitz survivor, right? It's just because I was searching for movies that had purpose and were really going to start driving. And like I said earlier, right, um, I've had this experience with celebrity and entertainment and all that that I'm so grateful for. But, you know, as much as I've wanted to find fulfillment in there, I hadn't. Maybe that's just because I didn't get the big hit that I was going for. Who knows, right? But I wasn't able to find it for me. And um, 
So I was still searching. And as I was changing and looking at my son and all of these things, I just knew I wanted to take what the Dalai Lama said. And that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was I wanted to educate people's hearts over their minds. And I'm a filmmaker and a storyteller and a creative person. And that's what I do. And so, you know, I'm glad you asked this question, honestly, about going through my whole career, because earlier you mentioned what was the inciting moment to start the mustard? Well, it's all the inciting moment to start the mustard for me. You know, really the Dalai Lama, I guess, on some level is an inciting moment for me to start the mustard. I just didn't know it yet. You know, I hadn't gone through my journey enough to kind of get to the point where I was ready to do that. And, you know, I'd be lying just from a transparency perspective. Most of my life I've been having people, whether it's my family or it's professors or it's friends always telling me like, oh, you should lead. You should be a leader. Well, I go back to like being 16 as a hockey player and goaltender and being a captain and stuff like that. I've just never wanted to be. If I'm being honest, I was happy kind of like, you know, like especially from an entertainment perspective, I was okay being behind the camera. I was okay being anonymous. I was okay just kind of being near it and creating and just trying to be a good person and never really wanted to step into that role. But I would say that's different for me now. I actually am okay from a leadership perspective. I've actually started mentoring some young kids and recognizing the fact that I actually have some experiences and a heart to give back. And so for the first time in my life, and again, that's what the mustard is. Um, the mustard is an opportunity for me to show that and to create a really positive environment for other people to be lifted in and, um, and to give, you know, I just, well, I love, I love seeing people succeed. And um, I just think it's, I wish more people loved seeing other people succeed and playing a role in it. Again, that's what it's all about, right? That's the, the internal structure of the mustard will, will be geared towards seeing other people succeed, whether you're an employee or a creator within it. We want you to have hope, even as an employee, to be able to see that if you're in every single role, whether you're an assistant or a president inside of an organization, you matter and that there's a path for you to get from one to the other. Um, all of this stuff should matter to people. And it just doesn't, but it matters to me. And so this whole experience, this whole journey has kind of brought me to this moment where I can educate people's hearts over their minds, create a, a positive space for people to create it in, and spread hope in the world. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Now, one of the last things I'll say is, you know, my wife is my polar opposite. She is in this business too. We met at Sony Music. She's an agent in the glam space. And... um you know, where I'm kind of the, the touchy feely softy, you know, she's the New Yorker, uh, you know, kind of tough edge. And I'm so thankful for it. Right. Cause it, we round each other out in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things she said to me, and it's one of the things that's been driving me forward as to the end of this long winded talk here is um, she's been saying to me, it's been fun to see you um chase purpose creating opportunity versus what you used to do which was chase opportunity searching for purpose and i'm super proud of that the fact that i've been able to do the work on myself to get my wife to the point where she's looking at me that way 
that means a lot. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that that's how you know. Yeah, and you that's know, like, you know, as parents, as a father, as a husband, and these are things that matter, right? Like if I look at when people ask me now today, like what is my most important job? My most important job is fatherhood. My second probably most important job is being a husband, and then everything else that comes after that, because these are the things that really matter. And then that's again, that's part of the shift. And now that I'm at that place with my wife and within my own family, I actually have the confidence now to actually be a leader beyond just for them, but for to step into the role that other people have been telling me I should be in my whole life. I just wasn't there. You know, I just needed these experiences. I needed to fail. I needed disappointment. I needed all of the hurt and all of the things that have happened coupled with all of the positive stuff. I need all of that to happen to get here. It is, that's why Sid Arthur, I'm so thankful for the book of Sid Arthur, right? Because the book of Sid Arthur taught me when I was 15 that life's a journey and you have to go through the whole path. You know, if you're not familiar with the book, it's an awesome book. Um, and ultimately, you know, it culminates with him sitting next to the water, realizing that the river embodies all life, that the good and the bad, it's all together. And that ultimately the good and the bad together is what makes life so great. And that's why, you know, when I look at things that are going on in the world, whether it's race relations, et cetera, that everything, we should just be looking at each other as differences in culture and different ethnicities, different cultures, all of which are unique, all of which are beautiful, and that we should be championing all of them and not pointing and saying one's wrong and the other is right, et cetera. We just have to stop doing that. We have to start lifting each other up and loving each other. And again, like to go full circle, that idea of if we sit down at the, at, our, at, a, at the table of conflict, knowing that we love each other, even though we might not like each other, we might be able to come to a compromise based on love, based through love. So yeah, and, and I, that's a lot, I know, but that's the Jeff. No, no, no. Love, loved all that. Loved all that. And I've, I've, I made a little list because I want to I want to just, you know, share some thoughts that came up during. Cool. That. Um, first, starting starting with the last thing you said, um, this, you know, arriving at a compromise based on love and through love. I think compromise is actually maybe underselling it. That love is actually what, you know, allows opens up this extra depth dimension of of mutual achievement. Like there tends to be ways to um, to satisfy all the needs in ways that we couldn't have imagined in, in that direction, in that direction. Um, that's kind of the Gandhi, the Gandhi thing. And then uh, I guess it's a good transition to the other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, I'm noticing kind of an, a potential connection between uh, this passion for seemingly impossible reconciliations like you did the film about the jihadi and yeah. the, uh, the Auschwitz survivor, yeah. which, by the way, I'm a grandson of of Holocaust survivors of, of Auschwitz survivors, so I know a thing or two Amazing. about that. Um, yeah, it's um, I won't get into it, but that's yeah, a whole there's, different there's some, topic personal... we can talk about it some other time. Yeah. But what what I will say about that, because I don't want to cut you off, is that yeah. the guy that I met, yeah. Irving, was one of the most inspirational and positive human beings I've ever met. Knowing what he's been through. To then know yeah. that about him and to see that in him is also an inspiration that no matter what you're in, no matter how bad it seems, stick to the journey. Yeah, that's wonderful. We should we should talk about that. I want to try to blitz through this real quick first, though. But I, I was struck by this, this connection that seems to be forming uh, between 
this sort of this passion for seemingly impossible reconciliations, like the film that you did about those two guys, and uh, blues music. Mm. I am I am I'm a blues guitar player myself, right. huge Stevie Ray Vaughan acolyte, and also uh, that this is like a core a core passion of mine as well, being a big Gandhi fan and uh, you know Jesus fan, all that. Me too, around, man. All that greatest and role then, models ever. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, in addition, in a, the, the the other example that I'll point out, not just me and you, but also we were talking to Bill Ottman, the CEO of Minds.com, which, uh, if you're not familiar, is an al a alternative social network yep. based on open source and transparent and uh, free speech principles. And they're doing uh, a project about de-radicalization, where they're uh, providing forums for people with extreme views and even less extreme views that are just really entrenched to hear each other rap mm. so that some, you know, reconciliation and uh, empathy uh, can be, can be given and, and kind of soften these incredibly spiky, sharp uh, barriers that form around people when they're in those kinds of mind spaces. And it's led by a man named Daryl Davis and Daryl Davis had uh, is a black man who had, befriended some 200 Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan members and through the course of their friendship uh, convinced them to give up their Klan membership. Amazing. And so he's he's been through the ringer on this and so he's leading this initiative with Minds and he's a blues musician. Sweet. Yeah. I love it. So like there's there's some kind of interesting oh yeah, I mean potentially spiritual look, connection between those things. Not to not to go into that world too far, but I've 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 cried twice in music has made me cry twice in a live experience. And it was Baba Tunde Alatunje, the African drummer. Um just that experience culturally for me was like blew me away when I saw that as like just like a young man. Um it was just so awesome. Plus, I just love rhythm. And um, Buddy Guy. Yeah. I went to a Buddy Guy show by myself at the Beacon Theater in New York while I was living there, actually, while I was working for Sony. So I wasn't like a young dude. I was in my you know, mid-20s, late-20s. I remember just sitting on the aisle at the Beacon Theater watching Buddy Guy. And just the, just that – it's kind of like what we're talking about. It's what blue makes blues. Blues is so real. It's so emotional. It's so like, you know, I know it's just 12 bar blues and, you know, music people tend to hate on it a little bit because it's simple or whatever, but that's what makes it great. And that's why every other piece of music is derivative from it is because it's just, it is the soul of music. Yeah. And it's a, it's education of the heart that given that it's, it's all about story the simplicity. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the simplicity of, of the blues kind of limits the extent to which it can appeal through the intellect. It, the measuring stick of the blues is the heart. Yeah. And I think that's, that might be, have something. To do I, with I love that thought. You're totally right. I mean, I'm just, or I will, if we had this, if we kept going in the conversation, people get really bored because we would just sit here and, and agree with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be bored. I wouldn't be bored. But I'm with you. Let them complain. They know my email address. Well, music, I mean, you know, music is like godliness, right? It, I think it's, it's, it, 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 it resonates inside of a world that's really powerful. So, you know, that's why, you know, good music can affect people 100%.
Yeah, yeah. And and if I may share something personal, I am, you know, figuring this out. I I I had I I grew up in an intellectually oriented family and also an extremely musically oriented family. My mother was a, a world-class French horn player. Cool. And so I got a lot of exposure to both of these worlds and when I was in my in my 20s, my 20s were real rough. And I tend to solve problems by intellectualizing them and like figuring it out. Cool. So my 20s were a really intellectual decade. An idea market is kind of the fruit of it just happened to align everything up in a row to result in this at this particular time. But what I really want to do is kind of stop educating the mind and start educating the heart more. I feel I've always felt fundamentally like a musician and I want to like, you know, laser beam onto that me too for as much time in my life as i can yeah i'm awesome. I, Are, you, you play also i don't i'm not a music like i i was too much sports you know what i mean i was because you have to be you almost as a kid you have to choose right because you you i was playing hockey kind of all time you know year round i think i had my first 100 game season when i was 12 so that i played hockey now i can i'm you know i can i'm a three chord strummer and i can hold a simple beat. And I took six years of piano lessons. And I understand, you know, one of the cool things for me, actually, in my time in music and as a, as a documentarian, I've spent a lot of time in the actual recording room, right in the studio as a fly on the wall. And when I've been able, that's been, when I look back on my career, that's one of the things I'm most thankful for is not the, the big moments and not the big live shows and the concerts and all that. It's that intimate moment where you get to see the song be born and the the understanding of the theory behind the song right i never really took took weight in music theory before but now i understand theory and why things work a lot better because of my association and closeness to the actual creators in the room and the producers and all that so like i'd love that i i mean i miss that so much you know what i mean like it was just it's just such a privilege to be in those rooms. That's how I feel. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's like, uh, I look back on that with gratefulness because it was, it was a privilege. Completely, completely get that. Like that you really are witnessing a conception in the real, you know, kind of sense of the term. Mm -hmm. And I've, uh, I saw John Mayer on your website as someone that you may have, you know, done some work done a lot with. with John. And excellent. Yeah. I, I, funnily enough, I don't know his music incredibly well yet. So I do know he's a big Stevie Ray fan. And also he's a great songwriting teacher. Great I've watched songwriter. a bunch of his like lectures. Yeah, he's a great songwriter. And also just that he communicates it so incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And something that I remember him saying that I think is very relevant for this conversation is you're talking about, you know, giving people hope and inspiring them, you know, to reach for this high place. And something that he said was in, in, in music, there's infinite room at the top. It's not like astronauts where you have five seats and you have to be, you know, one of the best five. If in the education of the heart, there's infinite room at the top. So there's no reason to want anyone else to fail or to be jealous of their success. That in terms of wanting others to succeed, I felt I felt that was like a really, you know, encouraging, you know, thing to I'm remember that you, he was that he said. I'm totally with you. In fact, I actually um I will know in what's day? I'll know tomorrow. Um, on the 22nd, I have a, a continuation of my movie, Never Again, where I actually want to go out into the world and go into 
Armenia, Azerbaijan. I want to look at, you know, Protestants and Catholics in Ireland, you know, black, white, left, right deniers versus, you know, non-deniers and climate, you know, there, un unfortunately the list of global yeah. conflicts that we could go through are pretty long. And so I've, I have, uh, angel investors, angel funding, which is the group that raised all the money for the chosen. Um, I have the concept with them right now and it's going through their jury process, but it, it's a, it, an extension of that film where I want to go and find individuals on both sides of these global conflicts that are choosing love over hate. And I want to examine that in a series, um, you know, an hour long series that we could look at, you know, eight of these different stories around the world and really start looking at the human beings, like what we're talking about, like really leaning into the heart. So I'm, 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 I'm hoping and praying that tomorrow I'll hear, get some good news that we're going to get some funding to go tell that story. Cause if that's the case, that's, that's what I start in January while I'm building the mustard, um, we'll be hopefully going out and doing that project and, you know, really just trying to that sounds amazing. bring, bring people to that. That, table. that sounds amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, idea market is all about surfacing the most important knowledge in the world. And that is really the most important knowledge in the world. Awesome. The ways to reconcile these, these differences and, and give people hope amid all this all this cultural chaos and sense of tribalism that one of the things we we're discovering when trying to tell people about uh what what we're building is there's so much cynicism about society and how uh, ideological groups are so divided against each other that there's not really there's not even really a lot of hope for a solution it's very it's varying levels of cynicism mm. well who will win and how are we going to manipulate this and censor that there's not really a lot of optimism that there is a way forward. So by demonstrating this in the kind of show that you're describing, I think there's there's hardly any entertain. I can't think of any entertainment work that's more important than that. I'm with um, you. I'm I'm just trying to in, in my the hard thing for me as someone who's not the greatest fundraiser um, is getting the people that can help me. You know, because unfortunately it costs money to go do this stuff. So yeah, that's absolutely sure. – musicians, I'm jealous of that, you know, where you can just pick up a guitar, write a song, and record it. You know, to go make a movie, you still got to go make a movie. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm I'm really – I'm grateful and appreciative of the concept that, it, that we have it and we have – I know we can go make it because we've already proven it in the Never Again film. So we, we have the formula. We know what to do. I actually just met with this guy who is a retired Green Beret who just got back from Afghanistan, who's looking to get into the filmmaking world. And we met about this project. And he actually, as an ex-military guy, believes exactly what we're talking about. He's, he's like, when he saw what happened with our pullout from Afghanistan this year, as someone who was on the ground there, he was like, what, he's like, what people don't see is the fact that those of us that are on the ground were actually had real relationships with people were were loving each other on the ground and building and working through the ideological differences that exist and then so when when we just got pulled out that was really hurtful for him so now he's someone that's on the backside of that he's a 48 year old operator who's like i know i can't going that way so now his mission is to get into the filmmaking world to spread hope as an ex-military operator i love that so I love that too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So hopefully There's, he actually yeah. expressed interest in coming on board um, inside of this, this project is called the many faces because he can 
with a phone call, introduced me to an Afghan interpreter right now, you know, that, you know, we could begin telling that story, Pakistan, India, you know what I mean? He has a lot of these people. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll get some good news tomorrow and that we can, you know, start finding these stories and, and going out and elevating them. That's amazing. And I think he would, he would bring a lot of credibility to that because the, as, as a military man, so much of the justification for, for uh, unnecessary wars is this, this cynicism that these kinds of solutions and relationships just don't work or can never yeah. work. Nonviolence doesn't work. Talking doesn't like all this stuff doesn't work. It's, 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 it's put in the water, so to speak. Yeah. And to have him, you know, whose military credentials are, are, you know, pretty much unimpeachable to come out and say, you know, I've, I've seen this, this really is like, this is the way tactical yeah. thing to do. I this is it. the way, this is where the effectiveness is. I love it. It's amazing. It's not in diplomacy. Um, in case it's in people. Yeah. 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 It, and it's, it's a whole, it's a whole other category of, of persuasion and of, um, of, of, of approaching challenges and, and, and moving yeah. forward. In, it's the Samaritan, in, in right? Resol- it's it's that idea. Yeah. Like we all have to yeah. be the Samaritan right now in the world because that, 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 you know, the, the, the person that's walking past the dude in the ditch, right? That's our cynic. That's so alive in the world right now. And so we got to start lifting each other up. We have to, like, we, this is the time yeah. we have to start lifting each other up. And throwing an arm around each other and, and limping through the finish line as a as a populace, or else we're just not going to get there. Yeah, is there is there like a coalition that I can join, or we can join, or create, or something that just that connects people who are into this particular? I I approach let's create. It. I don't know if there's a coalition. Yeah, but we should because again, like I said, the mustard or whatever it becomes, it's not about me. It's about us. It's about coming together yeah. and and driving it. So again, if you want to come alongside and yeah. we want to try to build something, I'm with you because that's what matters. Building it matters. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Putting it, um, putting it in the infrastructure, making it a part of the a part of the assumptions yeah. that that that's where we start solving. Look, even if even if the infrastructure of the mustard was being like, I we like this, let's build off of this, and we changed it. I'm okay with that. The mustard doesn't mean anything. The mustard means something to me is because it it's it it, it embodies who I am. But if it changes and it still does what it's supposed to do, who cares? You know what I mean? Because if, if yeah. it was just me wanting yeah, yeah. to hold on to a name, then that's ego and pride speaking, and that's part of the problem. Totally, totally. I just it, I, I want to see this kind of this kind of knowledge, this this ability to reconcile these seemingly irreconcilable opposites and seemingly irreconcilable people and cultures yeah. in the tool set. It has to be in the tool set for how to how to do. I, I think it's this for me. It's that idea. You don't have to like each other, but we have to love every everyone. Like you have to, like yeah. you're never going to like everyone, but you can love everyone because you really can. You know what I mean? Even in, even the people that I, I still, I still, you know, I know it's a kind of a Christian type vibe, right? To pray for your enemies and all that. But I do that. And that works. I, and I'm, yeah. I would be lying. Yeah. I'm a Christian man. So like, I'm not afraid to say that. And I, I, I say that because of the fact that I believe that Jesus is right. Aside from all the religion, the religion aspect, I don't want to even go there because that's not my yeah. vibe. But on the spiritual level, love each other, love God, love each other. 
that's the thing. And so like the, someone actually asked me the other day, what does the first amendment mean to you? My response was love thy neighbor. So can you, yeah, go into that. So I I don't need, I haven't fully articulated this, so I'm just going to be winging this a little bit. But, uh, but what I mean by that is, is that sure free speech matters, right. And we should be, um, but what we say also matters and how we say it matters. And yeah. um, so there's just just something inside of that. So like when you're you can say whatever you want, but as long but if you come at it, if you approach what you're saying with love and with empathy and um, with a um, the spirit that the person across from you exists and is a human being is a sensitive person. And is that 11 year old who's trapped inside of an adult body with walls around them, that that person is right there. Like, for instance, right, when you come up to a child, you bend your knee and you come down to their level. We don't do that with each other as as adults. I don't get it, right? Like, why don't we? That's because of our walls and because of the fact that we ideologically might be different. But ultimately, if we strip all that away and we're just that 11-year-old again, probably – all of that would just go away. They probably had to have a hug and right and start playing soccer again. Right, if you just want to be a kid and move past all of the nonsense. And so I just we have to take knees to each other, right? And that's what not liking each other but loving each other means to me. And that's why I love thy neighbor inside of the First Amendment. That's what that means to me. Is be conscious of what you're saying, how you're saying it, who you're saying it to. Be sensitive inside of that. Try to wear their shoes a little bit. You know what I mean? Like just your experience is not their experience. It might be different. So they might have a different opinion to you. So you, you should be discerning all of those things when you sit down at the table. If you're not, you're never going to get anywhere because then you're just going to be spewing your own, your own opinion into someone else who's got a different opinion. If you're not willing to bend at all inside of your philosophy, then you're never going to get anywhere. So we have to love each other. And that's what that means. So we can sit down at a table and be, ideologically opposed but if we love each other and we start talking through that and we start knowing that your experience might be different you might have been taught different things and together we can start unpacking things together and both sides showing that you're learning together and even if you hit impasses in those impasses that you can say you're culturally different and i understand and i still love you then we could find a way i guess that's kind of what that means to me yeah no i love that and i was hoping you would explain that you don't have to like everyone, but you should love everyone. Because that sounds like something that might confuse people because we tend to, I think in the West, think of like as like the prerequisite to love. You like first, it's less of a commitment. And then you like upgrade to loving mm-hmm. them. So if you don't like someone, the presupposition is there's no way you could love mm-hmm. them. But that's that's not an accurate relationship. Right. Um, it seems it seems more like what you're saying is love is not, you know, uh, the pro ver- the premium version of like. But it's a choice about how to relate to someone, and that's a choice that's always available to people. Whether and you if you take that approach too, you can you don't this, the, that spirit of offense is less, right? You won't get so offended all the time, and you won't be so yeah. jaded by everything that happens to you. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be hurt by things that happen in your life, but you can get through it because your identity is yeah. not wrapped up inside of that like. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it affirms making that choice affirms your agency Mm -hmm. if 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 if, if i'm fighting with someone and i choose to love them and they insult me the the having made the choice to relate to them in a loving way 
has it has some kind of effect that makes me less offended when they insult yeah me. and if you a, there's an insulating strengthening force 100 percent. and when you walk away right so if you might walk away a little annoyed in that moment right and as long as you keep loving that person then eventually time helps those little annoyances feel a little less so then you come back together and you recognize that you love each other and you can get through conflict because ultimately People's, people feel and they should be allowed to feel and people's feelings matter. So no matter how they got to that, right? It's, it's, and again, it's through sitting down and through love and be able to calmly talk through these things without pointing fingers and understanding and listening to one another and giving people the space to get to be heard. You can accomplish things. You can. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in my life a million times. It's how I like to resolve conflict. I know I want to act transparently and I'm not afraid to say what I need to say. Sometimes people receive it. Sometimes they don't. Um, you know, it might take them sometimes five, 10 years to come back around and that's okay. I'll even give them that space, even if it hurts to give yeah. them that space, but you got to, you know, cause it's the journey. It's Siddhartha. Yeah. It's good and bad are the same thing. They're in the same body of water together. So, you know, just in, accept it deal with it. You know what I mean? Like don't fight against the stream. Don't try to paddle against it, knowing that good and bad are always going to be together. But the choices we make is what matters. How we move forward. We can choose to love. We can choose yeah. to not get offended. We really can. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the power move. That's, that's where the power is that we, we always have this choice and, and we can make it, it's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on ideological alignment yeah. or, or anything. Like and not that. to get too metaphysical or whatever, but like the idea of thinking with the heart over the mind. Right. So like yeah. when I was going down the Eckhart Tolle vibe, I really liked what he said about this kind of stuff, right? Is that ability to separate your mind from yourself and right? your spirit in essence so you can sit in an observation of yourself. So like when your minds are like computers and when your mind goes on a tangent and starts racing and you want to stop it, you need to you know, hold those thoughts captive, sure. But one of the ways, one of the tools that he described doing it was to try to envision yourself separating and observing that the mind right so like the mind as a machine as a computer and if you sit in observance of it then you can learn how to control it right what that to me is is that that's what our hearts is so if we're if we're if we're thinking with our hearts then all of these thoughts you know that might be coming into our head might not be necessarily the right path we have to trust our hearts because our minds can deceive us and our wants and our needs and all of that become so convoluted in our brains that we feel like we need this, but if we can separate from our minds a little bit and look, lean into our hearts and lean into our true selves and, and a, sit in observation of our, of our own internal craziness that we all have, then we can start to actually unpack our own inwardness and start repacking with things that matter that make us better and more effective when we go back out. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I know that's a and, lot. You know, but... those... No, no, no. You're like you'd, you'd be amazed at how relevant what you just said is to just like a whole, our whole body of thinking here in the sense that um, the, the notion of thinking from the heart ties together a lot of philosophy because we've, you know, for thousands of years, since I guess Aristotle or something, have been thinking of, of people as, you know, the rational animal, mm. that we have this ability to think, therefore, we're rational. And what you know, we're starting to maybe come, come to come to grips with 
is that we're not, you know, we're not thinking machines with feelings or with desires. Yes. We're desiring machines with thoughts. And the thoughts tend to be almost exclusively subservient to the desires. So only by educating and, and evolving the, you know, the desire and sense of priority can we evolve the conclusions that we come to and, and, do, and do better. And again, respect. it comes back to the mustard here, right? In the sense that that's what the mustard wants to do is empower and teach people and give them the tools to kind of be able to discern and differentiate that. Because if, if the whole world just keeps going and reacting to our thoughts, we're just going to keep going down this negative path. But if, like you said, if we can raise a bunch of warriors out into the empathy warriors, empathetic warriors into the world that are out, actually out there thinking with their hearts, discerning their thoughts, then we can really, really, really make change in this world. Truly. Yeah. Cal, we, yeah. I should probably yeah. just jump in, Cal, and actually ask whereabouts people can find links for the mustard and where they can get involved just so we don't forget. So on our site, the mustard.co T H E M U S T A R D.co. Um, that's our main landing zone. So on there, you can join our discord community um, and start to build a conversation internally there. We are um, probably right after the first of the year. Um, realistically because i just don't think this is the right time to start a, the, the next you know level of crowdfunding but we'll probably start a new crowdfund in january um at the top of the year to to really start growing this and in the meantime you know um, we have instagram facebook you know linkedin please like and follow everywhere you can um and and just show that our community is growing because the more people that can even just become part of our discord or give us the likes and all of the social media stuff that um, is how the world grows right now. will just give us the, the, the credibility and, and from an investor standpoint that we need. So if you, if you like what you're hearing, give us some follows and some likes just so that we can really begin to um, convince others that we need to be thinking with our hearts. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, I would I would love to help make the love force, truth force cool, because that's Amen. that's the ball game right there. Yeah. If you make that something to aspire to, then people aspire to it and you don't have to tell them to aspire to yeah. it. You don't have to convince them. Yeah. And again, um, I will say this, too, like a lot of people in this space, like hopeful content. Right now, I know that can be like boring. Like, what's that going to look like? You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing is that I believe every genre is redeemable. I believe um, whether it's gaming or horror or whatever, you can redeem it, right? So, you know, I know a lot of the people in these spaces in the past have, um, you know, the demographic inside of this space of content has shrunken significantly because of the fact that it's become inauthentic and because people are too afraid to show sex, drugs, rock and roll inside of this content because they feel it will glorify it. And I say, I'm going to call BS on that and say we've failed um, inside of that world because of the fact that regardless if it's in the content or not, it's definitely in the world. And any young person doesn't need to go very far to know a friend who's doing whatever or to see this on the street. What we need to be doing is absolutely showing it in our content through all of our genres.
scenarios and then showing people, giving people hopeful experiences and, and, and ways through it. You know, I mentioned that earlier, but that's what it is. We need to redeem story. We can't just leave people in the pit. Yeah. We got to help them pull it out, but we can't be afraid to get in the pit in our content. Because if we don't do that, no young person's ever going to consider us authentic. And that to me is where the true paradigm shift in content inside of this space needs to come right now. And, you know, I think, I hope that the, the, the mustard can, can kind of be one of the leaders inside of that paradigm shift content wise. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it make, makes perfect sense. Like there's the, uh, the cynicism. Um, I heard someone say that evil is the lazy way to interesting. Ah. It's, it's hard to make, it's hard to make like heroes interesting. Agreed. And, and, uh, it's, it's such, such a worthwhile thing though. I just, I look forward like even to like, it's so interesting that you that. say that even like the boys, right. The show, the Amazon show, about the superheroes and like all of the stuff that, you know, goes on behind the scenes in their world and the destruction that they leave behind. Like I get the idea of that and it's funny and it's a clever idea, but to watch the show, it's so dark. So now we've even taken superheroes and made them dark. It's just kind of like, yeah, that's where the tween thing have hope. Cause you can become it. Like, like I get it for adults that we might want to go down that path a little bit, but kids are watching this stuff, you know, and you got, su yeah. you, you can't disguise superheroes and then make it this like awful, like I, I get the intention. I'm not, a, I'm not a hater on, on that. Like I've watched the show. I get it. Um, but we have to be careful. You know what I mean? It can't just, we can't make that decision just because it's going to be profitable. We have to be, making that decision because society is being impacted by this content and our culture is being impacted by it. And we, as the creators of it do now really start to have to take some responsibility. Truly. We have to. hundred percent, hundred percent. I want to leave a couple, a couple of recommendations. Just in Please, case you man. Heard about yeah. All day long. Right, right in this vein. All day long. Um, Morgan Spurlock did a TV show called 30 days. Mm -hmm. Do you know about this? I don't know. I know Morgan, but I don't know that show. Awesome. Yeah. He did a show called 30 Days where he would take someone from like an from a certain ideological tribe and have have them live with a family of the opposite ideological tribe for 30 days and follow that story. You'd have like a, a Minuteman, like one of the um, volunteer border guards, live with a family of illegal immigrants and they take care of him for a month. And like track that sort and typically there's a crisis in like the third week. And then at the Great end, concept. there's, it's just like a different world. Fantastic concept. And, uh, I just, I want to see more TV like that. And when you're talking about your, your, your project that, uh, the many faces and now we're both praying will go well tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. It, it seems, it sounds like a very similar. It is. Um, yeah. I'm interested to hear that. Actually. Thing. I, ironically, I have a friend who knows him, so maybe I'll even try to connect those dots. Yeah, that would be awesome. He did he did that. He did something called Inside Man, which is about doing really difficult jobs. Yeah. He he took a job as like a orange picker. As he also was the guy Sony brought in to direct the One Direction movie. So that's how that's actually how I know Morgan. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, I mean like there's that that's awesome. I just I loved those those shows Inside Man in Thirty Days, and they got like buried. They're not. I can't find them anymore. Yeah. We have to like pirate them now. But that stuff is just so important, um, and it's it's fascinating and it educates the heart. Yeah. So and you're a hundred percent right. Big like why we need to be. And that's why I think, again, the mustard 
and its community and inside of a DAO is really positive, right? Because then you, that kind of yeah. content will always be there. It'll never be anywhere. You'll always yeah. be able to find it. It'll be right there waiting for you to, to consume it. And you can't, it won't go out of print because the contracts will be executed immediately through blockchain technology. There's just like, we can change that paradigm in, in not only from a cultural perspective, but in a distribution perspective. We can, we all don't, as creators, don't be, have to be beholden to gatekeepers. We can go out make great content and distribute it to people who want it. If we can, you know, if we can be successful in this model. Yeah. So awesome. So awesome. This, this, you know, this stands a chance to become a little obsession of mine, Sweet. Which, is, which is good. Good. Like, well, I'll yeah, take all yeah, the help I can really get. Cool. And again, like I, I believe in collaboration. I believe that, you know, no one person can do anything. And even though, you know, the world likes to credit one person for everything, we all know that's not the truth. So, I'll take all the yeah. help I can get from whoever one who from any person that wants to give it, no matter who they are or where they're from. We need that's how that's awesome. how we need to go forward. One one last person I'd, I'd recommend you might like to reach out to or, or take an interest in if if you're not familiar already. Um, and I'm not intending to get into politics here, but Marianne Williamson was uh, you know a spiritual teacher for many years before running for office, and she used to say things like. You know, spiritual, spiritually inclined people tend to stay away from business and politics because they're dirty and like stay out of the dirt. But what we really need to do is enter those worlds and bring spirituality into them. And then she started running for Congress and president. She started running for office in cool. these ways. And I just have so much respect for that. I think she'd really dig, you know, the. I have what, respect what for that. Too. To that points to like that kind of call to leadership in our lives, right? When, yeah. when that moment finally does come, like even if it might feel like not the right thing, we have to have the courage to walk towards it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just you know, bringing bringing these principles into into the halls of power and into the halls of influence and and media distribution, I think that's 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 where the levers are, man. That's that's the control center. I think it's really important work. It's awesome. Agreed. Awesome. All right. I think it's a um, pretty good place to finish up, Cal. Uh, we'll be sure to put all the, the links for the Mustard and the Mustard Discord in the description below. Um, but I think everyone at Idea Market is now going to be keeping a keen eye on the Mustard. Uh, cool. I, I, you know, we're all aligned and we all back this idea of hope being out in the front. But, yeah, um, thanks for coming on. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, man. Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. And again, I just, I really want to say to both of you how grateful I am for taking the time. I'm, I really am. It's not just words. I'm really, really appreciative for you to give me the opportunity to, to, to speak. This is the first one of these I've done. And um, I just, I won't forget it. And your words are inspiring and it, it helps, you know, helps me as I sit inside of my little production space here in my garage trying to build this thing. Um, it just keeps giving me the energy to keep moving. So I'm just, I'm really grateful to you and um, you know, the mission's important. So we got to keep doing it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Truly. Thank you. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I can't emphasize enough. Uh, my door is always open if there's anything we can do to help. Right on. Uh, Cause I just, I love, I, I think you're just on the bullseye, man. Right on. And just, jump on that bullseye, jump on it, jump on it. Cool. Well, on. let's get some other people too. So I can, you know, I'd like to buy some groceries. <laughs> yeah.
I'm kidding, of course, but um, yeah, it is, you know, it's, it's scary sometimes when you're out starting this stuff up. I've never, I've never really been in this position before. So, but it's also inspiring and um, I can't wait to look back on it. 100%. Right on. 100%. Cool. Great, great to meet you, Kevin.